What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA Show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. April showers bring a loaded sports calendar, and FanDuel is the place to bet on it all. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit RG help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Special edition of Off the Pike. This is our Celtics season preview. I mean, we are excited. We got Tatum as Jack. Porzingis is going nuts in the preseason. Peyton Pritchard is like the best preseason player of all time. Sam Cassell's back. Paul Pierce and Rondo are at practice. We are excited. And to get ready for the season, joining us now, the play-by-play voice of the Boston Celtics. It is Sean Grandy. Grandy, what is going on, man? We're just a couple of days away here. What's going on is that you're getting all jazzed and excited when I know we are, as we're talking now, hours away from the true beginning of the Mac Jones era, the true turning of <laughs> the true day in which, because I know deep in your heart, when Buffalo scored late, you said, no problem, Mac's got this, we're going to go down and win this game. Like, no no concerns, because every, every team has that moment, every player has that moment. Isn't it funny when... It's not like the NBA where you're really tanking for Wemby or things like that. But maybe the Patriots are better off. Would have been better off going 2-14 and 14 this year. Who knows, right, how things are going to go. But you can't turn off that inherent thing. I watched my son just turn 12, and I was sitting next to him the entire time. You can't turn it off when it's the NFL and things are going badly. And you it really felt like they had no, you know, when that, that game felt like all the others. But they weren't going to win it. And there's just that joint thing. You cannot turn it off, even if you are better off maybe losing in the big picture. It was impossible not to get excited to watch that. Yeah, you're exactly right. The same thing happened to me in the Raiders game where I knew I wanted them to lose so they could get maybe Drake May in the draft. And then you get back to the situation where it's your turn for the team. You don't want to see them lose. And you do want to see a watchable product. But it's this win is probably going to hurt the Patriots. Like the win over the Bills, which is like, it's the Bills. Like, they should not be beating the Bills. They're at eight and a half point underdogs at home, and you're somehow able to beat the Bills, and you're thinking, like, you should celebrate this. And I was excited, like, when I first initially got on the Sunday pod with James White, and then as we were going on, I was thinking to myself, like, wait, hold on. 
Mac is actually preventing the new quarterback from coming in. Like if Mac can pile up some wins here, yep. the Patriots are going to be stuck with Mac Jones again next season. Now we'll see like down the road, the fifth year option stuff and all that. But man, they're really going to end up missing out on Drake May because of this win over the Bills. Don't you envy previous generations of sports fans who just, it just feels now like a simpler time where you just rooted for your team or you didn't. Like, listen, we grew up in the age of fantasy sports and we were the first kids. You know, my generation is the first that as kids, we were like, oh, your favorite team is up in the bottom of the night. But wait, you have that closer on the other team. And you had that first little twinge of your loyalty being split somehow when it shouldn't be. And then gambling comes in when you get older and all the other stuff that can, you know, there just seems something more pure about just rooting for your team no matter what. Yeah, it's a good point. And nowadays, like a lot of kids are fans of a certain player, right? Like they'll yeah, be sure, a Steph. That's what it is. Yeah, they're a Steph Curry fan. They're not even a Warriors fan, or they're a Kevin Durant fan. So they were an Oklahoma City fan. They were a Warriors fan. They were a Nets fan briefly, and now they're a Phoenix Suns fan. That's sort of like how it goes now. Is kids sort of latch on to certain players? Same thing in the NFL. Like I'm sure there's a ton of kids that live on the West Coast that are Patrick Mahomes fans and cheer for the Chiefs because they have Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and then there's the player. You know, my son, like every other kid, was a big Steph Curry fan and loved Steph Curry until Steph walked into his building a year and a half ago and dangled his mouthpiece and put the Celtics to sleep with, you know, putting his hands up to his ears. And it's really – Steph's a fascinating case because I had this conversation with Max last year where I said the one of the beauties of the NBA right now is that there are so many awesome dudes to root for. And how do you root against Giannis? How do you root against Donovan Mitchell? How do you root against like these quality guys? Hey, Wemby, how are we going to root against him when there's all these great guys? And Max goes, yeah, and Steph Curry. And I said, uh, to me, Steph, was part of his greatness is that he is more than willing to play heel on the road. Like he, I said, he'll dangle the mouthpiece and he'll stick the dagger and he'll taunt the crowd and he'll whatever. So to me, you can certainly motivate yourself to dislike Steph Curry if he's on the other team because he's willing to do it. Whereas I think these other guys, it's really, listen, six months from now, we might be talking about a seven game series against Giannis, which changes that dynamic and Giannis becomes the most, I just don't know how you root against some of these guys. Yeah, it's funny. I I can root against Giannis. I, I hate how. He just runs over guys like I have total respect for his game and all that. But I do feel like and I mean, we can actually start. I feel like this Milwaukee Celtics situation has sort of become a rivalry. Think about all the series they've played. I mean, they played the epic seven game series two years ago where Middleton was out. They played the reverse sweep where Paul Pierce famously said on ESPN after the yeah. Celtics won game one that the series was over, that. The Bucks can't and they score won game one. The Celtics won game one, remember. They won game yeah. one. That was the worst home loss Milwaukee had had that entire year. Celtics had swept Indiana. We put on that pretend the pretend Kyrie glasses in 2019 that, okay, we saw a lot of bad stuff in the regular season, but they'll be fine when the playoffs start. Then they sweep Indiana, win that first game, and then it felt like they weren't going to lose again. And, of course, they didn't win again. But, yeah. Yeah, I went. Go back to 2018, you got the seven-game series there, too. Yeah, at Middleton, every time he touched the ball, scary I thought Terry. he was going to score. Yeah, Scary Terry was awesome in that series. Yeah, you hold, had the whole Drew Bloodsoe thing, too. Yeah, game, <laughs> game one, that's uh, under-the-radar all-time classic games in this in what I would call, like, my Celtics era, the 23 years I've been here, is game one of that series in 2018 
which was a double over. Middleton hit the half court shot. Terry Rozier hit a shot to put him up. Middleton hits it with at the buzzer beater from half court to force yeah. overtime. And what we now know eventually would become a seven game series. That game one meant, you know, meant everything. The home team won every game. But yeah, yeah. But here's the point: Tatum and Giannis. Look how young they were in 2018. They have a chance if they stay with their respective teams, Jalen and Jason and Giannis. They could meet six, seven times in the playoffs. Right. The time their careers are over. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it's an awesome rivalry right now in the NBA. I do remember vividly that Indiana series. I went to, I believe it was game one with my dad. He got tickets for his birthday. So he's like, afternoon. do you want to go? I'm like, yeah. An afternoon game, Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I'm like, sure. Tiger won the Masters that day. Yep. So we went in We went in early. We were watching across the street, we're watching the Masters. And then everybody at the game, like in the section we were in, we all got our phones out because we're watching Tiger. It was like, Nobody thought he'd ever win a major again. And here I am, like, and it was a terrible game, yep. too. Remember, it was, like, super low scoring? I think yep. it was, like, Indiana may have scored in the 70s. Like, I think it was that bad. And I just remember watching Tiger at the same time they were watching the Celtics play the Pacers. Here's how long Tiger's been doing that. Seven years earlier, the final round, the season started, was still going on. It was the final Sunday of the regular season. Celtics were playing a big regular season game in Miami. It could have been 2011, but I think it was 20. It might have been 2011. Uh, and the Celtics are in Miami, and Tiger's going on a run on the final day of the Masters. Celtics are getting trounced in the afternoon in Miami, and Doc starts going at Danny Crawford, starts berating him, and Danny Crawford walked over and said, I'm not kicking you out so you can go watch Tiger. You know, if I wow. have to be here, you have to be here. And he wouldn't, <laughs> kick, he wouldn't kick Doc out of the game. <laughs> Doc wanted to get kicked kick out, out so you can watch, go watch Tiger. Tiger. Yep. Wow. Well, hey, he's, he's probably going to be – on ESPN's call, I would assume on Wednesday night, right? Is, is hey, yeah, is, I haven't seen the assignment yet for opening night, but yeah, we're gonna see. Doc's gonna be around. Yeah, I think he will. I think he will be because I think JJ Reddick said he's calling the Wembenyana yeah. versus Dallas game. So, all right. So I want to start with this in terms of the Celtics. So I was talking about this the other day briefly on the pod. I'm trying to think about the last time I was this excited for a season. I think back to the 18 Celtics. This is before we knew anything about Kyrie, yeah. right? Where I was really excited. Then they have Hayward, they have Kyrie, you have Al, and you have these young guys and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And I was even more excited at 19 because I'm thinking to myself, wait, hold on. They made it all the way to game seven against LeBron. And now they're getting back Kyrie. They're going to get back Hayward. So I was super excited about that. In recent history, the 17 Patriots, I mentioned this the other day to James White too, I was really excited for that team because they had just won the Super Bowl. They were getting a healthy Gronk back and they signed Stephon Gilmore and they went out and they got Brandon Cooks. And we here locally were having conversations about could they go undefeated? Like nothing's going to beat 07 Patriots, right? In recent history, because you got Randy Moss to play with Tom Brady. 08 Celtics, you brought in Kevin Garnett to play with Paul Pierce and you brought in Ray Allen. But in recent history, I, I would say this probably brings me all the way back to 08, 07 Patriots, 08 Celtics. I find myself more pumped up for this team than I have been with any recent version of the Celtics. I think people are sort of more excited now. We're more excited going into 18, 19 than they were 07, 08. If we go back to, you know, in the time capsule, we know what we know. History is concrete. And obviously they were dominant. They were dominant right away. Going into that season, you had a big three. But the same conversation I imagine you and I are about to have, which is about the depth of this team and the championship depth. Rondo was coming off a rookie year, and Perk was unproven. And you know, yeah. we didn't know what James Posey and Eddie House were. You knew what they were. You had some vague ideas. But 
I remember distinctly the feeling going into that for 07-08 season was, man, wait till 08-09 when this group has a second year together. Rondo is another year down the road, and he's played with them. And obviously his, and obviously that team was even better until Kevin Garnett got hurt. But I remember that you don't know what you really have until it starts. But 18-19, the Celtics were the favorite, just sort of like they are now, maybe even more of a favorite to win in 18-19. And then they became the drink that was advertised that year, all year during the season, during the NCAA tournament was orange vanilla Coke. And I, if you remember from five years ago, and I always called that team as it was happening. And ever since those are the orange vanilla Coke Celtics, because orange is great. Vanilla is great. And Coke is great. Well, all three together were not so great. And that is essentially (laughs) what that team was, which was uh, the flawed concept of the younger players in supporting roles who were still trying to figure out who they were in the NBA, as opposed to the the Golden State teams that won had the Iguodala's and the Bogut's and the Sean Livingston's and the guys that had already made their money, had proven who they were in the league. Celtics were counting on very young Tatum, very young Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, young guys who hadn't, you know, found their place to take secondary roles after they, as you said, had gotten to Game Seven. And you know, if LeBron doesn't have a master performance and uh, you know, Jeff Green doesn't come back to haunt the Celtics in that seventh game. Obviously, would have been a lot different, and the finals would have been interesting because the Celtics played Golden State so well. But yeah, yeah. so that was very much a live and learn year. Yeah, they always defended them well, even like going back to the Celtics that weren't true contenders yet, or at least we didn't think they were. Jay true Crowder, contenders Avery yet. Bradley. Yeah, that the those teams. Avery Bradley was winning, nasty. End of the yeah. win streak for the Warriors out there. Played them better, particularly out there. Anybody, which continued, by the way, in 2022, always the forgotten part of history is I've said this, I've probably said it to you, I've said it many times that if Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum win six championships or none, they should have gotten 22. They're always gonna that's always gonna be the one that got away winning that series. And that what people will forget is that in late in the season, late March, game 70, the Celtics played Golden State out there. And if you watch those two teams that night. You would have said, boy, if this this ever is the finals, the Celtics are going to win easily because they, they were not at the same level in late March. That was the game where Curry got hurt, when Marcus dove to the floor and Steph got hurt. Uh, they just looked like, you know, completely different teams because the Celtics just played them so well out there. Yeah. And I think like Steve Kerr's worst record is against the Celtics. Yeah. That's the team that's he's been the way. And saying his worst record, I think it's like 500 because Steve Kerr wins like most of the, most of the yeah. games that he coaches in. You know who weirdly annoyed me on the 19 team? Because I liked him previously because he had a lot of big shots and he got into it with Embiid holding up like the 3-1 or the 3-0. Marcus Morris, that year, I'm telling you, that was a black hole. If you gave the ball to Marcus Morris, and I get it, he was looking for his contract and all that, but man, he was allergic to passing the basketball. If it went to Marcus Morris, it it is not coming back. That guy just jacked them up. It was Listen, we talk ourselves into... I think the fascinating thing as we talk, as as the season is about to begin, is that there are obviously four or five teams at the top of the list. And yet, if you choose to be this way, if you want to be glass half empty on all of them, you can pick at some potentially fatal flaws in all these teams. I don't think anyone's going to be surprised if any of these top four or five teams win 65 games and have this great season. But I, I think there's a big window for all of them where you can say, Phoenix, oh, the Phoenix Suns, man, what a lot. You still have the Nurkic thing. You're going to have to like this is a significant problem. They all face injury situations. The Bucks 
that the Bucks are you know, the Bucks and Celtics. What's fascinating now is you're like, man, how the Celtics could have stopped Milwaukee now? How's Milwaukee going to stop the Celtics now? They all have these things. You ask, oh, is this is this going to really work? Is this going to really work? So it's I don't know. It's it's pretty fascinating. The reason is because no team as close as the Celtics has been to the championship the last few years. Have a guy, the last guy you'd expect to go yeehaw crazy with trades and giving away draft picks like he's Oprah. That and that's the last thing we thought Brad was going to be. It's like, hey, you get a first rounder, and you get a first rounder, and you get a first rounder, and I. It's the last thing anybody expected, and it's it's awesome because as everybody knows, the clock is ticking, and we're not going to make no one should get a popsicle headache from second aprons and luxury tax and things like that, but. It is really forced. It's almost like a time bomb with these contenders in the NBA. So you have to go now. There's another five years down the road nonsense. Got to win. Try to win now. Yeah. And to your point on Brad, I think he has seen recently how a certain other GM in town is criticized for his draft picks. So Brad said, you know, I'm just not going to make any. I'm just going to trade him for really good established NBA players like Derek White, right? Like Drew Holiday. I'm just going to do that, which I totally agree with. I love what Brad's doing. But so Paul Pierce is basically back on the Celtics. He He's there all the time. He worked out with Tatum in the offseason. Rondo was at the facility last week. He said that Pierce called him at 3 a.m. after they got the email from Joe Mazzulla about coming back. And Rondo said... Getting the alumni involved, to paraphrase, is basically more of a college thing. And I actually mentioned this on the pod a couple weeks ago. I'm like, this does feel like a college thing. And Rondo confirmed my belief. So Rondo's a really smart guy. I feel good about that. But I don't want to get super fanboy with this. But I love seeing this, that Pierce, like last year, we saw him at a lot of games. I like that Rondo's back in the building. The guys, Rondo's a basketball genius. I love the fact that he's around the team right now. This is a really cool thing. Like Joe Mazzulla, this idea that he had... It's a really good one. I really like it. It's kind of cool seeing all these guys come back. And I think it's a really smart thing that Missoula did. It is. And here's what's, you know, again, you get, you're old enough. You have institutional memory. Time goes by. The thing you realize, and I was saying this to, I spent about an hour with Rondo a couple of days ago. And, you know, being around Rondo, which I was constantly in his 20s, to see him as an older guy, he hasn't officially retired yet, but he's in that place. And he was always... If, listen, you could do a two-hour podcast on the psychology of Rondo and the career of Rondo and of all the things about him. I'll, I've always said this. He was a foot smarter than the smartest kid in the room. He was the smartest kid in the class. But it's been my history, Brian, and I don't know about yours throughout life. People generally don't like the smartest kid in the class, right? And I yeah. think that is a lot of the the Rondo, you know, the, the great stuff that came with the issues that – People, there are people to this day that worship Rondo as their favorite player ever. And there's the guys that had to coach him in the NBA who said some things to me about Rondo that you wouldn't think you're talking about the same guy. But when I first came here, it's a long time ago now, when I came to back to Boston to become the voice of the Celtics, it was 2001. And at that time, people were talking about Bird and McHale and Parrish. And I watched it all the time in the 80s. And, I haven't, and when those guys came back in the building, there was always the awe and the you know respect. Now... It's Paul and Kevin and Ray and Eddie House when he walks back in the building and Rondo when he and now they're the legends. This is the I, I said, what's it like? Now you're a legend that you don't. We're all older than we think we are. Time goes by and you think you're the same person and you're not. And all of a sudden you realize, in my case, you've been here 22 is 23rd year now. And you've seen these changes and that now these are the players, the 08 players and the new big three Celtics are the ones that 
you know, the fans today worship and Joe recognizes that there is that there is something the institutional memory. And this is the beauty. And I'm not calling out any other teams, but the beauty of being the Boston Celtics or the Bruins or the Canadians or, you know, the Yankees or the, is there is that there is something about being a part of it that when guys come back, it really does. It does matter. It's, it means more to them to carry on this legacy and to win here is significant. And, you know, we lost Bill Russell last year and we lost Tommy Hudson the year before and we're losing some of that. So you have to realize that that, that fabric has to continue. And for the players now, they don't remember. They, I mean, they've seen tapes. You asked Jason Tatum about Larry Bird. Jason Tatum's become a student of the game. He didn't know. And I'll give you some perspective on this. And this will, depending on your age, is how it will hit you. The moment Max's street cred with Jason Tatum increased exponentially when? When the 30 for 30 came out about the Celtics and Lakers. Because, yeah, Jason Tatum had a vague idea, but think about Jason Tatum's age, how old he is. Right. He wasn't old enough to watch or appreciate. That's ancient history to him. But when it's presented in a way that his generation is accustomed to in the 30 for 30 format, all of a sudden, Max giving James Worthy the choke sign at the free throw line of the NBA Finals, that makes him, that's a bad man doing that. So all of a sudden, that's when the eyes kind of open up. So to this group now, think about how old they are. We're talking about guys, listen, Drew Holiday was the first player in the NBA born in the 90s, and he's one of the quote-unquote old guys now, okay, that was born in the 90s. So these guys who were born, in, they were little kids when the 08 team was winning. So these are the guys they look up to and worship that were the heroes when they were kids. So it's really important not to connect. It's awesome when Sat Sanders is around and those guys. But to this group of Celtics, Rondo, Garnett, Pierce, that group, that's what, you know, that's what connects with them. Yeah. And Al Horford played a seven game series against the 08 Celtics as Crazy. A, a young Crazy. rookie for, for the Atlanta. And they, the Atlanta Hawks gave By the it way, to him. So did Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday yeah. played seven games, the, uh, the Uncut Gem series, which we're now calling it the Boston Philadelphia series. In 2012, Drew Holiday played in that. Or the Sixers against the big three Celtics. Yeah, and that's the Sixers group that they eventually like gave up on with Andre Iguodala, that group of guys. They gave, yeah, yeah, they gave they gave up on them and started the process, and now they're they're still processing at this particular point. All right, mm-hmm. so this this is a tough one. So of the two newcomers, the big newcomers, no disrespect to O'Shea Brissett, my Syracuse guy, by the way. Carmelo's kid was visiting Syracuse, so I'm hoping that he ends up signing. They, they, uh, this is a complete digression. I don't have to get into that in great detail. But uh, anyway, I have a soft spot for... Hey, I, don't, oh. I, I do, too. Only re- I, I was Syracuse or BU. Syracuse, BU. That was it with me. And then I realized that everybody who wanted to do what I do was going to Syracuse. And there was a chance if you go to Syracuse, you might get to do the fourth quarter of a lacrosse game your senior year because literally everybody was going there. And then when I went on my campus visit, it came down to being in Syracuse. And when I went on my campus visit, it was this spectacular April day. And it was 75 degrees and there was a dome stadium on campus. And I was completely in love and I was seeing college girls and tank tops. And the tour guide made the biggest mistake in the history of tour guides. A parent says, well, do all the kids that they usually hang out here on the quad playing hacky sack and stuff like that? He said, well, this is the first day it hasn't snowed since October. So, yeah, that <laughs> was... Off to be he's not up. lying. He's not lying either. Lake effect. I know. Off to be going. <laughs> it's brutal. You got to walk backwards. So you don't have the snow going in, in your face. Mm-hmm. But oh, so my question about the two newcomers. 
Who are you more excited to watch, Drew or Porzingis? I mean, obviously, you've seen the all the preseason games as have I, but who are you more excited to watch this year? <laughs> I don't have a definitive answer on that. I think they're both going to be. Uh, I'm fascinated. I'm more interested in how Porzingis fits. Mm-hmm. Now, Porzingis playing with players, multiple players at this level. And if he's going to be able to shoot a three whenever he wants, and he's going to be able to roam a little more defensively whenever he wants, like Drew's game to me is – Drew's game as a defender, it's going to fit right in. Fit right in. He's in that place. I think Porzingis's game changes more. When uh, let's go back to 0708, make the generations connect. Ray Allen had the biggest adjustment to make because he had to go from being the guy to being right. the third guy, or he's the shooter, or whatever. He had a bigger adjustment to make. The Porzingis adjustment, which is, you know, it's like kid in a candy store adjustment. It's a great adjustment. The freedoms he's going to have. But I think his game potentially changes more, whereas Drew Holiday is going to be more plug and play with what he has always done. And now he's just going to be able to do it here. And I think he's going through that preseason stuff that oh, all new players do. Too unselfish. I, I don't want to take this shot. Let me, you know, in, ingratiate myself and my teammates. All that stuff will go and he'll be Drew Holiday again like that. Yeah, it reminds me of like the Derek White train when they got Derek White. Now, obviously, Drew more of a reputation, a superior player. But when Derek White got traded here, I was like, this is going to be the perfect fit. Mm-hmm. Love the move from the beginning, even though some people didn't like to move. I'll never understand why people didn't understand how Derek because White Because they they're not watching. They're not wa- Who was watching the 2021 Spurs on League Pass play the Thunder? You weren't watching Derek right. White. You didn't under... Right. You just didn't right. know, didn't know Derek White. Drew Holiday has been a player that's played against the Celtics, has beaten the Celtics in Boston in big playoff games. So I think there's just more familiarity with Holiday and Porzingis than there was with Derek White when he came here. Yeah, the Holiday trade too. They You lost Robert Williams, of course, in it, but it's the only trade that I can remember in like recent history where it's just slam dunk. Everybody loves it. Because even Porzingis, people are like, oh, well, they're losing Marcus, right? Like ordinarily, there's like two sides to a trade where at least some portion of the fan base or some talking head is trying to convince you like they screwed this up. Nobody was doing that with the Drew Holiday trade because if you tried to make a case that it was a bad trade for the Celtics, you weren't going to be well-respected as a basketball mind. Nobody was going to take you seriously anymore. Well, and here's the thing. Some, I don't know how these the podcasts and these conversations will live and if people will one day go back many, many years and say, oh, you know, Grandy and Brian Barrett were talking about this thing in 2023 before the season started. History, I imagine... 10 years from now, 15 years from now, particularly if this team wins a championship and becomes a legendary team, are going to say, oh, the summer that Brad got Porzingis and Drew Holiday as if it was this master plan of getting rid of Smart because you were going to get Drew Holiday. Everyone forget, there was no discussion about Drew Holiday becoming a Celtic. Only in the crazy abstractness of the rooms that Brad and Mike Zarin and that group live in where you have to say, all right, what if OKC or New Orleans gets loaded? What if this team gets loaded? What if this team gets loaded? Who gets traded? And then they have to get to Milwaukee and doing that exercise. If Milwaukee trades for Lillard, and what were the odds of that in the middle of July when they did the right. Marcus Smart trade? So at that point, the odds of Drew Holiday becoming available were very, very small. Now it looks like, my gosh, you almost if you could pick one guy in the NBA, you're going to lose Marcus Smart. Who would you replace him with if you could? You're not saying many names before you're saying Drew Holiday, if any of them. So right now it looks like this master stroke when you have to be – that's the whole point we're going to learn about the Brad Stevens era and how this works now. 
you have to be ready because yeah. and the reason is because when the Brogdon thing fell apart, you had 90 minutes on the clock essentially because Porzingis was going to be able to opt out. And that isn't, oh my God, panic. What do we do? You have to be ready in that moment to say plan C, plan D, plan E. And you have to have had a meeting three weeks before, six weeks before, six months before, which plan E got discussed. So you're ready when the, when the phone call comes. Right. And we knew right away what it was going to take because of the contracts. It was going to be Rob. It was going to be Brogdon. It was going to yeah. be two firsts. So the only <laughs> question Brad had to ask himself, he knew what Portland was going to ask for, even if it's like, oh, Aiden and Williams don't fit together. Well, you can eventually trade Rob or maybe you can try to play a both together. Like you don't have to rush if you're Portland. Right. So you knew it's going to be a young core player like Rob. It's going to be Brogdon. And then it's going to be these draft picks. Are you willing to give them up? And clearly the answer for Brad was yes. And I would have done the same thing if I was Brad. I actually said it the day that I did an emergency pod, a bonus pod with the boss, Bill Simmons. And we said, what would it take to, this is after Lillard signed or got traded to Milwaukee, a reaction to that. And we brought it up. Would you do that trade immediately? I said, yes, I would do that trade in a heartbeat because you're getting one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. Also, you're going to need to stop the guy that now has Drew Holiday's old job in Damian Lillard. It just made too much sense. But so I love the Drew ad. He's another premier defender. You have two all NBA guards in your backcourt. There was only four of them last year. You have two of them in your backcourt this year. And not like his three point shooting the past couple of years, really good. 39.2%, 41.1, 38.4. And one of the things that we've heard recently or that's been discussed over the past, I would say, really ever since the playoffs is, well, sometimes his numbers aren't as good as the playoffs and he's not as great offensively. Well, here's the thing. He was not supposed to be the guy that he was with Milwaukee the past couple of years. Chris Middleton has been dealing with all these injuries, right? On this Celtics team, he's never, now maybe there's a game where he's hot, but he's not slated in to be the number two option, right? Your number one option is Tatum. Your number two option is Jalen Brown. Heck, your number three option Maybe Kristaps Porzingis, but he sort of fits in after that, where I felt like in Milwaukee, yeah, he had some shortcomings in the postseason because I don't think that's truly who Drew Holiday is as a player. He's an elite defender. He's a good pick and roll operator. He's a good catch and shoot guy, but you don't want him operating as if he's Damian Lillard, right? You want him to be sort of your third option offensively or your fourth option offensively, which at times he will be with this team. And when you call me to do one of these on May 15th before game one of the Celtics Bucks Eastern Conference Finals, which of course won't happen because we've all decided it will. So some crazy thing is going to happen to interfere with it. But assuming that it does. Yeah, the stupid somebody, heat will do something. Yeah, something, some crazy thing will happen. Listen, I remember doing an interview, the last one I did almost before going on the air on opening night in 2017, saying something like, yeah, it's going to be it's the Celtics and this in 2018 and Golden State, whatever, but something always happens five minutes into the season that we can't possibly predict, and I've never used that expression again because 30 minutes later the game started, and five minutes into that game, Gordon Hayward broke his leg, and every, the entire trajectory of Celtics history changed. But when we talk before game one of that inevitable Boston-Milwaukee series, somebody is going to uncover between now and then the New Orleans-Portland playoff series a few years ago when Drew Holiday shut Damian Lillard down. And that's going to become a um, NBA today or whatever. Somebody's going to come look at this video that I found or whatever, that this goes back a ways uh, between Lillard and Holiday. It's not just him in his spot now. There's great history. That's the fun part of the league when you really follow the league is that it, 
now you can bring you're bringing that history. It was like when Kobe the Kobe Shaq thing became part of Celtics Lakers that Christmas day when all of a sudden Kobe and Shaq were staring across at each other in a Celtics Laker game. You know, one of those right. moments you never thought you'd see. And, uh, you know, the Drew Holiday, Damian Lillard thing has been going on for a while. And now it's, you know, six months ago, ask a Celtic fan about Damian Lillard versus Drew Holiday. And they would say, well, I don't know. it." And now it's good, very likely a part of Eastern Conference history in the next couple of years. You're not going to believe this, Grandy, but when they signed Holiday, I went through the tracking data from. I, I that, believe it with you. I, I, I totally believe with you. I knew, by the way, I knew you were really into the Celtics. I tweeted it, obviously, as you know, but I knew you were really into the Celtics season when you were tweeting instead or coming off of Patriots weekend. You were right into some preseason Celtics game talking about, you know, the, the, whatever was going, wherever we were on a Monday night. Yeah. Drew yeah. Holiday and Derek White's on yeah. off. Right. On off. right. right. <laughs> yeah. In preseason game. When Nemeas Kata comes out, is on there with this five, the Celtics are a, <laughs> a, plus a 116 offensive rating. So I did the other day. Rondo said that Drew was one of his favorite teammates. Yeah. And I, I tweeted this out. Lillard in that series against the Pelicans, 25 of 71, 35.2% Holiday. 46 of 81, 56.8%, 27.8 points per game. Drew Holiday in that series. And, and by the way, so, as I told Rondo the other day, when he says somebody's his favorite teammate, that matters because he's played with 8,000 dudes. So, I mean, yeah. he's, well, played, and everybody, he's played with everybody. Yeah, everybody everybody seems to love Drew. Like, he's always yeah. up there for, like, teammate of the year and stuff along those lines. Yeah, but, I, right. I, I said this, too, when it happened. The Boston's going to love this family. You're going to love Lauren. You're going to love, uh, I mean... Just a high – in addition to – he's a great player and a, a, the kind of player that you win championships with, but just super high character dude too. Yeah, and that's, no, there's nobody – you know, Max and I drove the Marcus Smart bandwagon around here for – and I, I would say, you know, my relationship with Brad is what it is, and it's always been really, really good. Brad's status in my house with my son and wife after Marcus and Rob is not what it – that's going to take a little <laughs> – Fence mending uh, in this, yeah, in the Grandy house, given those were his, his three favorite, you know, three of his four favorite players, I think, were all, you know, <laughs> all dealt away. I, I had some I had some tough uh, tough phone calls to make to my son, tough uh, picking him up at school at summer camp and go, um, remember that time Rob played on the Celtics? Yeah, those were good times. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's gonna like Porzingis and Drew. Price, of course, you know, he's there's no there's no doubt. Every everybody will, and people are listen. You can. You can feel the excitement. If the only twinge is again going back to eighteen nineteen, when I think there's this heart, you know, the, this the fan base got burned by Kyrie. You know, they poured their heart and their soul, and they gave everything to Kyrie and that group. And it was such a disappointing year on a variety of of levels. And I think it's hard for people to. And there's been a lot of disappointment, obviously, but you can't buy in now. I mean, you're. You've been at the top of the league for a long time. And I know people scoff at five conference finals and seven conference finals around here. You and I have had this conversation. When I came back, that team went to the conference finals in 02. They wanted to have a parade for them. Yeah. In fact, it was such loserville here that they had had a parade two years earlier for a player who won a championship on another team. Ray Bork had a parade for winning the Stanley Cup in Colorado. That's how desperate people were here. So getting to the conference finals, they wanted to celebrate that. Now getting to the conference finals. <laughs> Conference finals, you don't get a banner for that. I'm like, oh, okay, there's about 26 teams behind you that would gladly trade places. Yeah, no doubt about that.
Jump into the NBA action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers get three months of NBA League Pass courtesy of FanDuel when they place a $5 bet on the NBA. That way, you can watch all the action as you bet on everything from point spreads to player props. Best of all, you'll get paid your winnings instantly. So I'm looking at a couple Celtics futures this season. I like Jason Tatum for the MVP at plus 750. He's behind Jokic, Luka, and Giannis. I think you can eliminate Luka. That team is not going to be good. So I like that plus 750 for Tatum, especially if the Celtics finish with the best record in the NBA, Tatum's got a chance. Now you look at coach of the year, and I know this sounds crazy, but going to this whole theme of if the Celtics have the best record, Joe Mazzulla plus 1,200, those are pretty nice odds. I also like the Celtics at plus 380 to win the NBA Finals. So just some futures to look at as we're getting ready for the NBA season. It is finally here, baby. So don't miss your chance to get $200 in bonus bets plus three months of NBA League Pass. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and tip off the NBA season right. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. All customers... All customer offer, $5 NBA wager required. Limit one pass per customer across both offers. Restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See full terms for both offers at fanduel.com sportsbook. NBA League Pass, local blackout restrictions apply. All right, so I did want to get to Porzingis, getting back to this Drew Porzingis thing, who you're more excited to watch. And when I see Porzingis at seven foot three being able to shoot, that quick release, and then just what he can open up for this offense like if Jason Tatum has the ball and he sets a screen for Tatum at the top of the key you have Al who's an excellent corner three-point shooter could be parked in the corner so then okay if you blitz Tatum kicks it to Porzingis Porzingis gets a wide open three if you don't do that and you try to stay with Jason Tatum do you help off Al's defender because if not Al gets that wide open three it just puts the defense in a bind and I just think we saw him used as a dribble handoff hub Derek White was doing that a bit he actually had a really nice two-man game with Pritchard, where three consecutive possessions down the court, a Pritchard-Porzingis pick-and-roll ended up in points in some capacity for somebody. Once Pritchard himself, once Porzingis, and I forget who he kicked it to in the corner. I think it was Al. I actually hit a three-pointer. So he's obviously not the best player on this team, but I think there is very few guys that could open up what Porzingis can for this offense. I just think it's the perfect fit, and... It makes total sense that this was the target that Brad had in mind this offseason. And look at how the other element, look at how physical Tatum has been in post-ups in the preseason with the added muscle. And he's been, I mean, granted, it hasn't necessarily been first-line guys, but he's been bullying dudes. And if he can do any of that, he had an there's just been moments. You try to take moments in the preseason and not look at games or advanced metrics or things like that because the sample size is crazy. But you just take snapshot moments where you go, okay, that was interesting. Tatum bullying dudes. He had a putback offensive rebound and one in one of the games. I think it was the Knicks. Well, it might have been the Knicks home game. And you went, oh, my goodness. If he can do that, if he can start doing that against first-line players in the league, this is going to be a problem. And there was a moment again in that Knicks game. And, again, well, you didn't have Brunson. It wasn't the first the first group. Quickly didn't play. But I think McBride had it. It was bringing it up. And Tatum locked him up, up top. So he throws to the corner, and all of a sudden there's Drew Holiday. Okay, and Drew locks this guy up. Out the ball comes the far side. They reverse it to the other side, and there's Derek White. And it's like, uh, okay. So what we know <laughs> is that the Celtics are going to be this top group, 
This top six is going to be very difficult to attack. And as talking to Steve Clifford, you got to see Steve Clifford the other day in Charlotte, and he's kind of shrugging his shoulders like they can all shoot. And it's not just top six, it's top eight, because you're adding Hauser and Pritchard at seven and eight, and now everybody can shoot. And when I say everybody can shoot, I mean, these are legitimate. If these are everybody, somebody's getting open threes. Right. No matter what combination is on the floor, there's going to be a 40 to 45% open three-point shooter shooting a three if the possession goes according to – and, again, that those are the kind of mathematics that it's going to take it, these one of these six for 34 from three nights for the Celtics to lose. And they're, they're going to happen, and people are going to go crazy, and they're going to see people on your feed going, they shoot too many threes, and they can't well, – well, the reason you shoot too many threes is if you have a team that can make them. And that's when you have games like at the start of last year when the Celtics were beating the living heck out of everybody. It's because on nights when their threes fall, they're un- they're unstoppable. And who can put together a six-, six guys like that to start? Phoenix has got a couple, but they don't have six. Yeah, and it's the way you generate them, too. Like yeah. this year, you there's going to be more drive and kick action just because of the lane that opens up with the spacing that Porzingis brings. But Getting back to Tatum, you mentioned the one thing I noticed the other night is he he does the LeBron now semi transition. If he has a smaller defender on him, he's just going right in and backing that guy down. We saw him do it multiple times in that Charlotte game too. But just on Tatum in general, where I really think he can now weaponize that strength and size, and we've seen him the deep post position. He did that a couple of times in Charlotte, where he's running on the break and he's just posting up a small defender. And Drew hit him on one of the one of them. Derek White hit him on one of them, and he's getting easy opportunities at the basket. We know that the free throws went up last year. I think his playmaking can still get better, but it's improved basically every season. And I just think about it from this perspective. This is year seven, and it's his 25-year-old season. So if you look at the history of the league, LeBron, year nine, 27, that's when he won. Jordan, year seven, he was 27. Giannis, year eight, 26. Steph, year six, 26, so older than Tatum, but a year less in the league because, of course, he played at Davidson for a while. Shaq, year eight, was 27. It's rare to see Dwayne Wade, year three, 24, and by the way, he had Shaq. Duncan was year two at twenty, at 22. He's one of the best 10 players in NBA history. And those are also, like the guys I mentioned there, Wade and Duncan are two of the best three organizations of the past 30 years or so, along with the Golden State Warriors, right? I guess you throw the Lakers in there, unfortunately. You probably have to throw the Lakers in there, even though they did it in different ways. But my point being, he had a bad stretch against the 76ers. We would all acknowledge that. And luckily, his teammates picked him up, and then he hit the huge shots in Game 6, and he was awesome in Game 7. The Warriors series, it was bad. He was 24 of 76 from 2, which is 31.6%. It was bad. They figured stuff out with Tatum. And I'm not defending him. But LeBron had his postseason issues, right? Giannis certainly had his against Toronto. So in the moment... Dirk, Dirk, Dirk did too before yeah, he- They were calling them soft, right? And so we, we... Obviously, in the moment, we get upset and we get infuriated at some of the things that are happening on the court and more importantly, that your team is losing, right? But he gets better every year. And I do feel like another leap's coming. Every time I don't think he can make another leap, I feel like another one's coming. And this year, it's more from the physicality standpoint. And you see him working with Sam Cassell on his post game. Like, this is stuff you love to see with Tatum. So I really do feel like this is the year where maybe he does ultimately make that leap. And so many of these other guys across the league would have had these same issues in the finals and in the Eastern Conference finals, but they weren't there. Like Devin Booker didn't start playing playoff games until later on in his career, right? So he didn't even he didn't have these young moments when Jason Tatum was doing this at 23 
and 24. So I do think like sometimes you got to take a step back and realize like this is usually when it happens. It's usually year seven, 26, 27 ish. That's usually when these things start to fall in place. Well, what are the other things that that those teams, those players in those years have in common? I'm closing my eyes figuratively and I'm seeing Pat Riley, Phil Jackson, Eric Spolstra, Greg Popovich. And that to me is going to be the fascinating subplot of this year. After everybody just piled on the guy who was thrown into a train wreck and asked to drive a train that was already going 90 miles an hour. Let's find out now if everyone, if he's still going to be bullied when now he's had a year not only to get his feet underneath him with the train going 90 miles an hour, but now has Charles Lee and Sam Cassell. And I can't tell you, Brian, how bizarre it was to get on the plane the other day and there's Jeff Van Gundy. It was just bizarre. And I was flashing back. I said it at the start of the broadcast the other night, the start of the Charlotte game, that in 2007, the fall of 2007, we forget this now because there are numbers in the rafters. But when you saw Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen James Posey and Eddie House, it looked like somebody had photoshopped green uniforms on them when you saw them in the preseason in 2007. It wasn't real yet. Same way you're seeing Porzingis and Holiday. And that's Jeff, Jeff Van Gundy is sitting on the plane. Like, what is going on here? And Sam, and Sam Cassell, by the way, has anyone ever been more connected to a franchise that was here for three months than Sam Cassell? Three months! He was a Celtic in the 40-something years of his life, and yet you think of him so connected to the Celtics for whatever reason, and it's not unusual at all to have him here, but I'm fascinated to already see how Joe's hit the ground running and again, brought the alumni back and had a full, it's going to be really interesting because there is no comp as the kids say, as your generation says, there's no comp for what Joe had to do last year, except maybe for Jack McKinney falling off his bike, which we only, you know, people only know now because of the HBO series, which I'm not supposed to say was awesome, but it was awesome. Because I'm in the NBA, we're supposed to have a, we're supposed to take our, you know, we're supposed to take our, uh, I just have these now, these old person reading glasses. Now you're supposed to take your glasses and look down on the end of your nose and say, oh, that winning time show. It was so, it was awesome. And we know it was awesome. And it sucks that that had to end after two years. Although as I tweeted when it happened, winning time ending with the Celtics winning the yeah. championship was, <laughs> as, was as on brand for red controlling things from beyond the grave as anything I've ever seen. That's just insane that that would happen. But I, I always compared it. If you want to use Spolstra as the Joe Missoula comp, Joe, Eric Spolstra had two years, two or three years of anonymity. I think two years mm-hmm. LeBron got there to become an NBA head coach. He coached well, but he was still, people got on him during the 2011 during that first year, he's not ready. Eric Spolster's not ready. He can't handle this. In the finals when they lost, and it, that loss really burned at him. And during that year when there were different issues, he was in his third full year right. as a coach then. If the only comp is if Eric Spolstra had been, if they had the Stan Van Gundy, Pat Riley thing, 2006, and they were supposed to win again after they won in 06, they came back as favorites, maybe in 07 or co-favorites to win with Shaq and D-Wade. And the coach at that point, they had pulled Spolstra out of the video room and he had to coach that team two years before he became a, that's the only reasonable comparison to what Joe was asked to do last year. So how can you not be fascinated? How many podcasts did you do talking about Joe throughout the year? And then particularly in the playoffs last year and people just almost forgot how it happened. And 
it's going to be a really fascinating year that way too. Yeah, it was crazy. And now, like, I'll admit it that, and I don't have to admit it because people heard me on the podcast. I was hard on Joe at times, especially during the postseason, like the the whole Grant thing all year. I always found that to be perplexing and odd. And then putting Pritchard out there in game one against the Heat when Jimmy was on the court, I thought that was weird. But as I'm getting ready for this season, I had to like sort of sit back and say, wait, hold on. He just got the job. He, he had never done this before, right? And he inherited a staff that wasn't his. And he sort of, in a weird way, jumped the line, right? There was assistants that were closer to Ime on the bench than he was behind the bench. So it's a weird situation. And now I'm looking at it. They have Sam Cassell. They have Charles Lee. To your point, they have Van Gundy. Like they have a lot of veteran guys that are going to be around him and can certainly help. And like I've liked some of the things he's done in the preseason. Like he's actually usually we see this like players working on things. The coach is working on things. He's how about after the free throw makes, he starts putting on a press. I'm like, okay, this is nice. I like this. He's challenging calls like late in the game to try to win challenges. So I think he's done a good job sort of setting the tone this year. Where last year he couldn't set the tone because he inherited the team right before media day, and then he's taken over the team. But you can tell, like, all the, like, going back to what we talked about, bringing the old guys back, the Pierces, the Rondos back, bringing them back. And then I do think, I called him Pliable Joe the other day. He mentioned the fact they're using post-ups, and we were talking about earlier, free throws. So I think he is going to be, and especially it's easier now to say this because you can do it because you have a guy like Porzingis. I do think the offense isn't just going to be They're going to take a lot of threes because you should take a lot of threes. That's just the math of it. You should take a lot of threes. But are they going to be the second most reliant team on threes in the NBA like they were last year behind only the Dallas Mavericks? Probably not. They're probably going to drive the ball a lot more than last year because they're only middle of the pack in terms of their driving frequency. Yet they shot like they were fourth in the NBA in percentage. So I think we'll see more of that, especially with Porzingis. So I'm optimistic. Like I'm back in on Joe. I think we can see. Look. We see players improve all the time. Why couldn't a coach improve after having his first year in the NBA? Particularly thrown into it the way he was. Right. 20-year head coaches in the NBA will tell you that they improve and they constantly learn things. But obviously there's a curve. So uh, talk about the potential. From Look at what Joe did last year in an impossible situation. How how is it not going to get – and you have to ask yourself at the end of the day, if you don't feel you're qualified to make that judgment, do you believe in Brad? Do you believe in Brad Stevens? Because if you believe in Brad Stevens, Joe's Brad's guy. And so at some point you have to say, uh, Brad's got a pretty good track record of getting some stuff done around here. And you know nobody chose to have the email thing happen the way it happened last year, but it happened and you had to react to it. And the question is, what's going to happen to Boston, Milwaukee, Phoenix, the Lakers, Denver. What is we're sitting here talking in late October? What's going to happen on the 10th of November? Whether it be uh, some horrific injury, whether it be the uh, James Harden domino that somehow changes things. Like, does anybody think the Sixers aren't going to be better after Harden is gone? Like the the Maxi Maxi and B thing is fine. What do they get? What are the dominoes? What significant thing is going to happen in the league that we have no idea is coming? Our way, and that's all you can do is, you know, all you can do is all you can do, and do the Celtics or the Bucks. Denver, we know has it. Who's got the depth to get through these eighty-two games? How much does that matter coming off the least effectual regular season on the playoffs that we've had, certainly in the modern era, maybe ever? 
in NBA history, which we had last year. Does that affect how teams play the regular season? I don't know. I think the league, obviously, you saw how the league reacted. The league's taken a really serious stance about players playing as many games as possible. And before the the regular season gets too far away from us, that's something that's important. Yeah, that I, I saw. Obviously, you saw it too, but most people saw Kawhi's comments about the, the whole resting thing. And I think that people misinterpreted what he said. He said, I hope the NBA, the league isn't mocking me. Well, I think what he meant by that was like copying his plan, like saying right. that uh, like he was he wasn't saying like the league is mocking what he did. They were saying like he was saying like mocking his plan, like copying his plan, like other guys aren't going to do that because of the unique injuries. So I am wondering like how stern they're going to be on that. But I mean, I guess the good thing for the Celtics is, you know, who doesn't qualify as a superstar? Al Horford. Right. So, and I talked about this. I've talked to a bunch of people about this. I wasn't the first person that came up with the idea, but the whole idea of I would be looking at Al and say, "Hey, Al, you know that uh, California trip, Christmas time? Want to hang back with the family? You don't have to come. Save yourself a couple of plane rides. Just stay in shape because I do think that's now one of the most important things of this season is." Al, without Grant here, you need Al for the series we keep talking about. You're going to need him down the road from Milwaukee at some point. You're going to need him if you play Philly in the postseason, of course, with Joel Embiid. And he's now entering his 37-year-old season. And I just wonder, what is the games? What are the minutes? Because last year, he ended up playing, what, six less games. But the minutes were relatively close, right? Because he played more minutes per game than he did the previous season. So I'm wondering what... They're going to do in terms of just because I feel like it's even more important this year than last year to get him healthy and fresh to the postseason. Now, Al may want to be like, I I want to play in all these games. I don't want to be sitting out these games. But when you convince him and I'm sure, you know, this guy, he's done everything you can possibly do in the NBA besides or in basketball besides win a championship. He's won two national championships at the collegiate level. He's been an all NBA performer. He's been deep into the playoffs. This is like the last part of the checklist. So I'm I'm not even like kidding about this. I would see like, I, I would really do it. Be, just be like, you know what, Al? I, stay home. Yeah, you don't have to come, man. Or like meet the team halfway through the road trip. Something along those lines. One of the unsung heroes of the Eastern Conference Championship team in 22 is Sam Presti for telling Al to go home the year before. Yeah, and lock him out of the practice facility like he's that jet that got locked out of the practice facility whatever oh yeah that's the best thing that could have happened to Al because he was so fresh coming back and I think it's a major concern about keeping Al's minutes in line it's why Kada and O'Shea Brissett and any any minutes you're going to be able to fill there because we know the top six are the top six but when we get into three games in four nights and the Celtics are going to Las Vegas to play in the in-season tournament and the West Coast trips you're talking about, how do you manage the 82 games so that you're ready for game 83? That's the whole thing for these top teams. Yeah, and I think the Kata point is a good one too because we saw less Cornette in that game against Charlotte and we saw Kata get a long run. And I will say this, I did not know much about Kata prior to basically when the Celtics signed him. And in that last preseason game, he had, what, 12 and 7 in his 13 minutes. And I'm not saying the stats matter, but the 7 tells you that he's an active guy. He does play with a lot of energy. So I'm wondering if Cornette right now is your third big, the reason that you're trying to see what you have with Kada is for those nights that I'm talking about where Al doesn't play, where, okay, now Kada 
is the third big. You really do need a reliable, basically you need four, four bigs, you need three bigs, and of course Porzingis counts in this category too, but you need two other guys after Porzingis and Al because of the nights you, and you're going to want to give Porzingis nights off too. Don't undersell the role Blake Griffin played last year playing those second night at back. He was the, he was the fifth starter, right? Yeah. He was a knuckleballer yeah. that he would come in on the second night of back. And I think at one point the Celtics, I think we're seven and oh to start the year, maybe yeah. on back once a week, games. Blake. Right. Those are all the, <laughs> the Blake Griffin games. And it was perfect managed with it because he could give you 28 minutes once a week. And it was like the perfect guy. So who's going to play that, you know, play that part? Yeah, no doubt about that. All right. So I did want to ask you about Jalen Brown, because this is my one concern. I love Jalen as a player. I'm saying this. I love Jalen. I love Jalen. He's awesome. Congratulations on your Supermax. I do wonder, though. So, and Jalen, by the way, he had six assists, which I I know the stats aren't important, but Jalen Brown, he had six assists. Jalen Brown had six assists in that final preseason game, which or the two preseason games ago that I think it was the Knicks one, but whatever. He had a six assist game. But if you look at him last year... No, you're one of the few people in the world that knows who was last in the NBA last year in assisted turnover ratio. Last. JB, Jalen Brown. Qualified, so, yep. Uh, if you look at it, so the assist per 100 with Jalen on the court last year, 25.9, 28.1 when he's off. So that 28.1 when he's off would have ranked third. The 25.9 would have ranked eighth. So not awful, but you're slipping five spots. And I do feel like, and I even noticed it in one of the preseason games... Derek White is, he came from the Spurs, so he has that like one and a half seconds. It's like he gets the ball and he's he's making a quick decision, right? And it's Porzingis isn't like operating with the ball, like dribbling around. He's getting the ball in the post, the free throw line, et cetera. Jason Tatum is usually a little quicker than Jalen with his decisions. And the thing that sort of can aggravate you about Jalen, a lot of the times when he does this, he's like not at the top of the key. He'll be on the wing. And he's just sort of dribbling. And I'm like, all right, if you want to shoot, go ahead and shoot. If you want to drive, go ahead and drive. But don't just like stand there dribbling because that's when the defense gets to set itself up. And that's where I think sometimes he can make life more difficult on himself. And I do feel like this team, they have a lot of guys that can make plays. My one hope with Jalen, well, first of all, is that he takes less threes. I believe he can lead the NBA in transition points per game. He let, He's basically led the league in fast break points per game after the All-Star break last year. And I think he's going to get a ton of easy opportunities. We saw it in the preseason. Drew, one of the things I didn't really realize about him when I didn't watch him every night, he's great at the head-to-head passes. Like, he catches the outlet, boom, it's out. Derek White does that too. But I do wonder, I just hope that Jalen can play quicker this year than he has in the past. Because the, the thing is, you don't have to play like you used to. There's so many good weapons around That's you. it. That's the point. That this team is set up that he doesn't he didn't have to dribble. Who's dribbling? Who do you want dribbling? Pick any guy with the other four guys who are going to be on the court with him at any one time. Why do you want somebody hounding the ball? I was, again, talking to Rondo the other day about how the game has changed and how he, you know, you can't even imagine. It seems like it's oh, it's only ten or fifteen years since the 08 team. I try to watch those games. Try to sit through those seventy six to sixty nine playoff games. It's great when you're winning. It's great when you have the great defensive team. But it's a completely different game, and you don't want somebody like Rondo is pounding the ball right the first fifteen seconds of the shot clock. You don't want that anymore. So right. when you say you don't want Jalen doing it, you don't want anybody doing it because the offense is not set up that way. Yeah, exactly. All right, so I got two. Before we let you go, uh, Sean, I got two for you here. So my first one is, what is your biggest concern with this team? Because we talked about like a lot of the good stuff. Is it health? Yeah. Is it a certain player? It's health. 
It's 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 clearly health because there's not you're not looking around after Derek White and seeing a lot of 82 game guys. I mean, you know, Duso has another birthday, right? So that'll be a game that. No, I think you know. You, with, the thing is, I with forgot Tatum, about that. Yeah, with Tatum, my, my only thing about that was I I just remember thinking, and uh, it's re- it's impossible to pick at JT, right? He is the superstar. He's not only obviously one of the elite players in the world. We always knew he would be. I just think I'm so fascinated by these by these two young men who I've watched growing up and how Jalen has become. They both become men you admire at such an impossibly young age. Both very different paths, and right. you know, Jason's path has been being a dad, right? So young, I think, has just sort of, you know, escalated his maturity and his sort of understanding of life that dads do. I didn't. I was like almost 40, right? When I became a dad, that's a different world than becoming one at 19 when you're 20 years old, when you're an NBA player. It's yeah. extraordinary. But the birthday thing, I pick at it because, first of all, it's impossible to find anything to pick at Jason about. My thing was, there was probably a kid at the game that day celebrating his birthday who came to see Jason Tatum play. And I think that's what the league is sort of focusing on. Like, let's try to be a little more fan-friendly as far as the stars appearing. But the point is, that you ha- it's hard to get Jason Tatum out of the lineup. Jalen, you know, it took it took Tatum to get Jalen by breaking his face to get him out of the lineup. Like, <laughs> it's hard to get Derek White out of the lineup. But with Porzingis and his history, with Al at his age, there there's going to be issues. And how do you, on the third game in four nights, and I'm talking about guys like Blake Griffin, is Sam Hauser, Peyton Pritchard, O'Shea Brissett. This is what we don't know. And by the way, we could be talking in February saying, man, it's amazing how seven through ten in this team has become elite. And obviously Peyton... Mr. October here after getting the contract, he's <laughs> Reggie you know, Jackson. I, I got the bag and I just I earned that. I earned that bag. Um, you know, he plays like I was always I was trying to think of my favorite irrationally confident player as a kid it was Lenny Dykstra. And he almost willed himself to become like he always believed when everybody laughed at him when he was a five foot seven kid from California, weighed 140 pounds, everybody laughed at him. And he's like, No, I'm one of the best players in the world. And he turned out to be. He yeah. willed himself into that spot. And that's what sort of the Peyton Pritchard thing reminds me of a little bit. Like he's he's like, there's no question in his mind. He's not, people say, oh, you gave Peyton Pritchard 30 minutes. He's not shrugging his shoulders. He's like, yeah, this is where you normally swear if it was a cool 30 for 30. But he'd be like, yeah, yeah, I deserve it. Yeah, I deserve that bag. So I, I just think we don't know. That's the exciting part about the season. But of course, listen, health could go wrong with anybody. I don't have any concerns about the character in the room. Even roster construction, given the restrictions that Brad's under now, salary-wise, the Grant one to me is the one that emotionally it's devastating to lose Marcus Smart. And for the Chris Forsbergs of the world and my son, the people that love Rob Williams, that hurts. It all hurts. Malcolm Brogdon was the freaking sixth man of the year last year, and you've lost that. The Grant one hurts differently because that was forced by the CBA. That wasn't a conscious choice, and you would love – I mean, if you didn't have to do that and you had Grant – Right now, in addition to the other pieces you have, like all of a sudden you had Grant and Pritchard. That the Grant was seven, Pritchard was eight, and have, you'd just be feeling a little bit better because of the Giannis stuff, because of the experience and all that. Right. And that's the one that hits me the worst because it it was you had no choice. It was just well, you know, I do look at yeah, I look at that one now that in now that we know what happened that you yeah. were able to trade for Drew. Using hindsight, it's like, oh, maybe you should have kept Grant because you're a second apron team anyway. Right. So, but at the time, to the point that we mentioned, like Brad needing to be ready making the Drew trade, 
at that point, you didn't know you were going to get Drew Holiday. So it didn't make sense to go into the second apron at that particular point in time. If you if you made the Drew trade before Grant deciding if you bring him back Grant or not, I bet they would have bought brought him back because they knew that they were a second apron team anyway. So just sort of the timing of that one, I think. Okay, so the last one I have for you, non-Bucks division, not like their actual division, but non-Bucks Eastern Conference team that you're the most worried about. I've been going back and forth on this the entire uh, preseason. And again, listening to your boss, I, I was fascinated listening to the over-under show he did because if you listen to it, you're already smiling as I'm seeing you smile because it seemed like every team they were going over. And yeah. they can't all, you can't go over on everybody. They're not all going to overachieve. It's not Toronto and Brooklyn and Atlanta. They're, they're not all going to overachieve. Somebody's going to drop back. Um, I think I'm, I'm such a big Mobley guy that Cleveland can – but that to me I see – again, I'm just seeing everybody's potential for problems. Like where things could like go go left or go south or whatever, and Cleveland certainly has that the Donovan Mitchell thing hanging over it. Uh, I think I'm curious to see how Philadelphia comes out of the Harden situation because most teams end up, or you're probably going to be better off when you have that situation resolved. I I think Atlanta with a full year of Quinn Snyder is interesting, but right now I don't see that. I don't see that third team. You just keep – you go, eh, New York. I love New York's players, but, again, they don't have the depth and it's Julius Randle go-to guy. And you go through all of them one by one by one, and then you get back to Miami because it's Miami. And that's the only reason. Yeah. You know, they spent the entire summer waiting for Damian Lillard and people like – you know, and again, I think Tyler Hero with the chip on his shoulder is actually not a good thing. Like right. Tyler Hero, because that, that could lead to – yeah, Tyler Hero taking 35 shots a game or whatever. But you're just – you concerned about them for the same reason you are not. They don't concern you on October 22nd. They concern you on May 22nd and April 22nd because of the dude with the perp. And so <laughs> the dude with the perp. It, it's almost by default because I'm not, I think when people say Boston and Milwaukee are another tier, I don't think that's hyperbole. I think it's just the reality of the way things are shaping up at the starting gate before the dominoes start to fall that inevitably fall during a season. I think that's fair. I, I think it's easy to say, man, oh, you could talk yourself into, hey, Toronto's still got these pieces and whatever, but there's that's potential for a problem. I love Mikhail Bridges as much as anybody, but he is, he's the, is he the signature star of a third best team in the Eastern Conference? It's not, it's not fair to put that on Brooklyn. The Knicks have a lot. Can they, even by repeating the year they had last year, you know, they, they got knocked out by Miami in the second round. It's hard to envision them Okay, so you say, who is the other team? Who's the party crasher in the conference finals? And you talk yourself out of everybody until you go back down the list and you've circled all the way around again. And there's Eric Spolstra and Jimmy Butler. And that's the, they scare you because they have earned, they've earned that right. Yeah, that's why I was smiling when you mentioned Bill's pod because I'm like, he's going Miami. That's where, I'm, that's where I am too. It's, you I have just, to. It's, it's yeah. by default. Butler and Bam, those guys just scare the shit out of me because we've seen them do it so many. We've seen Jimmy Butler do it. We've seen Bam do it. And to your point, I think that Hero probably is going to have a big season considering all this stuff. Like the, the fact that, I mean, he's already been doing it on social media. And I think, look, maybe they don't make the conf or the NBA finals last year if he plays. But you know what this team needs? Tyler Hero. They need another guy that can score. And they didn't even have that button to press like in the NBA finals, right? Where it's like, or the conference finals, why don't we try out? Well, you didn't have hero. Like, so that they, they could have certainly brought something 
to the table. But yeah, the Heat, I will permanently be scared of the Heat until Jimmy Butler retires or he's playing for playing for a different team or something along those lines. All right, that is the play-by-play voice of the Boston Celtics, Sean Grady. Grady, thanks so much for the time. Have a great call Wednesday night and the rest of the season, man. You got it, man. Anytime. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, great stuff there from Sean Grandy as we get you ready for the season. Celts Wednesday night, Knicks, let's go. Celts Heat Friday night, let's go. Now we bring in producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan. Jamie, what's going on, man? You excited for the season? We're here, man. We have arrived. I'm super pumped. It's been a good day. We had a nice little Pats game, and now we got to prep for the Celtics. Yeah, man, I'm I'm so fired up for the Celtics season. I like I've said multiple times. I just I can't wait. It's going to be awesome Wednesday night. It's not going to feel like and look, the Patriots won. Congratulations to them, but it's not going to feel like. Half the games, I would say, it felt like a chore watching the Patriots, but we're not going to have that feeling with the Celtics. All right, so I wanted to get to a couple of futures with the Celtics team to get this season going, thanks to our friends at FanDuel. So, run a couple of these by you, Jamie. Tell me if you like them or not. Tatum plus 750 for MVP on FanDuel. He's behind Jokic, Luka, and Giannis. Okay, now here's the argument for Tatum best player on the best team if they have the best record in the nba if they're the first seed in the eastern conference and it's like okay you have Jokic, you have Giannis, and tatum similar like he's 28 ish or maybe he's 30 again and he's 10 rebounds or nine and a half rebounds five assists the numbers all look really good it looks like he's gonna make an all defensive team and a first team all nba again like you can make an argument for tatum so that's the argument there because obviously like Jokic is the best player in the NBA, and he's going to put up crazy numbers. He just walks into these crazy numbers. Like, you get why Jokic is the favorite. You get why Luka's up there. I I would eliminate Luka. I don't see that happening. That Dallas team is not very good. Like, I would... They're going to battle to get into the play-in. They're not going to be a top six seed. So Luka should be out of it for me. Giannis, we get it because him and Dame, although I do wonder, like, Giannis now playing with a guy that takes as many shots as Dame. Like, his, he'll be super uber-efficient, always uber-efficient. But the argument for Tatum is, basically, he's on a wagon. They win 60 games. Right. Maybe they're, like, five games better than anybody else in the NBA. That And it's plus 750. Like, those are pretty good odds. No, for sure. I like that. I think, too. Not sure this is like a conscious thing like voters are gonna think about, but it's been a lot of a lot of big men the last few years, you know, with Giannis and Bede and Jokic and stuff. And I feel like I don't know if Tatum has a great season like that and it's like a close one. I feel like they might I don't know, again, like unconsciously you want to go for kind of high flying wing. That sounds like fun, you know? He can do it all. So I think that might aid him too. Do you think I'm crazy? 
No, I th- I think you're right. I think that could be like just it's not a center. And you know what's Especially, you know what's you know? crazy too that you mentioned that that it's been a lot of centers. Yeah. You know who the last American MVP was? Harden. James Harden, jeez. Embiid last year, right. two years in a row of Jokic, two years in a row of Giannis. Right. You have to go all the way. Like that's crazy that it's, it's been crazy. five years. And all those guys deserve to win it. I'm not mm-hmm. saying they didn't. Giannis deserved back to back. Jokic definitely deserved back to back. You could make an argument that he should have won the MVP last year. I thought he should have won the MVP, but I understood why people voted for him B, but he easily could have been the MVP last year. But five years in a row, it's gone to an international player. Just crazy. So, okay, here's another one. Drew Holiday, Defensive Player of the Year, plus 2,500. That's tied for the 10th shortest odds. Now, obviously, this is a long shot at plus 2,500. Yeah. Here, here would be the argument to sprinkle a little bit on this. is, And like I said, plus 2,500. So it's a sprinkle. It's you need to take it a shot here. Here's the argument is you start to think about it like Jaron Jackson Jr. won last year. Okay, well, what if the Grizzlies aren't great? They just lost Steven Adams for the season. Jaws missing the first 25 games. I've said multiple times, I don't think Marcus is going to age well. What if the Grizzlies aren't a top six team? What if they're not, right? They win a shit ton of regular season games every year, but if they drop off a little bit, Evan Mobley, some of the shine wore off him now more on the offensive end in the postseason than in the regular season. Anthony Davis is another guy that I think could easily win it if he plays enough games. Bam's another guy. You get all this, but if the Celtics say hypothetically, last year they were what? Number two in the NBA in defense. If they're number one in the NBA in defense and there isn't like a clear best defender, right? Like White has a great season. Drew has a great season. Tatum has a good season. I do think Drew will sort of get propped up because he has the biggest defensive reputation of all those guys. Even Derek White, it was all NBA last season. So that's the argument to just sprinkle a little bit on that plus 2,500. Now, usually we don't see guards get it. Like, remember, Marcus was the rarity. We hadn't seen a point guard get it since like Gary Payton. So we don't usually see it be guards anyway, but who knows? Crazy things have happened. Might as well take a shot. I don't think it'll happen, but plus 2,500. I think plus 2,500, like you said, why not? I think, like you said, guards don't win that much. And I think the Marcus Smart thing, I feel like that didn't age all that well, you know, him winning it. I think like within like a month, everyone's like, hmm, not sure he really should have deserved yeah. to win that. You know what I mean? Yeah, the big men just have more of an impact. Yeah. Like if Rob was healthy that season, didn't get hurt right. at the end. Right. He would have been a better candidate than Marcus. So, um, okay. So six man holidays at plus 1900. I think he's going to start though. So I think he's going to start too many games. Even if they, the opening day starting lineup is Al, Drew's going to start enough games. That's part of the reason too, that I think Al should come off the bench is then every back to back, you're going to have to change your starting lineup. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you just start Drew, right? So you don't have to keep switching that stuff up now. The argument to have Al start is most teams are at their biggest when they start the game. That's the argument. But I think you can shave minutes. I've talked about like shaving Al's minutes, having him skip road trips. But you shave minutes immediately if you just bring him off the bench. So I don't think Holiday will actually be the sixth man. Pritchard is at plus 5,000. Juicy. What if Pritchard has a big season? I've been lighting it up. I guess you never know. Is there like a certain distinction? Like, how do they actually determine? Yeah, this? there's a there's a certain amount of games that you can't. You have to come like off minutes? the bench for a certain. Oh, you have to. Yeah, okay. for a certain amount of games. Yeah. Okay. This one, Coach of the Year, Joe Mazzulla, plus twelve hundred. Mark Dagnall from Oklahoma City and Adrian Griffin are the only guys with shorter odds than Joe Mazzulla. So the argument for this is. 
The Celtics are better than they were last year. He's got this good coaching staff around him now. So maybe that actually hurts him is that like Sam Cassell and Charles Lee get more credit. But if the Celtics are, again, the best team with the best record, yeah. second year coach, I think Joe Mazzulla will because usually it's a surprise, right? It's usually like the year that Steve Kerr and the Warriors set the record. They had to give it to Steve Kerr. Sure. But a lot of times it's a coach that Tom Thibodeau two years ago where Nobody expects anything from the Knicks. They're in the postseason. He gets it, or three years ago, whatever that was. That's usually when it happens, when it's kind of a surprise, unless the team is just so dominant. Like Monty Williams, who I don't think is a great coach, but that Suns team was right. great the year that they ended up losing to the Mavericks in the conference final. Because they were the best wire-to-wire team, he gets it. But a lot of times, it'd be a surprise, a team that we don't expect to get to the playoffs. Like I think Taylor Jenkins won it one year when they had their first run. Budenholzer, I think, when right. Milwaukee ended up being the top seed for the first year, ended up getting, not that that was a surprise, but he took them sort of to a new level. So that's the argument for Joe. Best team, and the offense looks a lot better, but plus 1,200. I mean, those are pretty good odds. I think those are great. I think that's probably the best one of the bunch at this point. And yeah, it's like, it's not that complicated sometimes where it's like a new-ish coach on the best team. So what else are you going to do with the award? And I think, again, it's like, it's like the narratives, like he was getting shat on last year for like messing up. And then if he turns it around and gets a lot better, yeah. I, I think that's the thing people like will like to follow and grab onto. Yeah, it's a good point. Like the narrative last year is during the Sixers series, they were down or excuse me, the Heat series, they're down 3-0. Yeah. Could he actually lose his job? And now it's like, oh, he redeems himself. Okay. He looks a lot better. Yeah, that that is a good point. The narrative certainly would help Joe Mazzullo when it comes to that. And then. Just these ones closing out, plus 175 to win the East. That's tied with Milwaukee. And then plus 380 to win the NBA Finals. That's tied with Milwaukee right now, too, at last glance. I mean, it seems like it's a two-horse race, I think, both those. I think, uh, I guess Milwaukee has done it in the past, where the Celtics have not, on both cases, I guess. But um, at least the Celtics haven't been the one seed in a little bit. But um, I don't know. I'm feeling confident this year. I want to see those things happen. Let's bring it home. Yeah. I'm pumped, man. I can't wait. I know. All right. Thanks. Thanks to our friends at FanDuel for those lines. Oh, by the way, or props, futures, all that stuff from FanDuel. We'll be doing a lot with FanDuel throughout the year as the Celtics are about to get underway, as we do with the Patriots as well. We will be back on Wednesday night. Change of schedule this week. So we will be back after the Celtics and the Knicks on Wednesday night, Jamie. Cannot wait to watch some hoops. Hopefully after a win. No doubt. All right, Jamie, good stuff, man. Hey, Brian. All right, as always, you can leave us a voicemail. And remember, after that Celtics game, you want to leave us a voicemail at halftime if the Celtics are blowing out the Knicks or the third quarter, or if the unfortunate happens and they're losing, they're getting blown out, which I don't envision happening. Leave us a voicemail, 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan, who you just heard, and Steve Strudy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 
1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.